You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. As Max said, this is the second Sunday of Advent. And our text today comes from Luke's nativity story, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, where it reads this way. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, what angels always seem to say in moments like this, Do not fear, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Our Advent theme this Sunday is peace. But what is the peace that the Christ child symbolized for his contemporaries? Our text today holds a clue The angel says, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those, among those whom he favors. And those whom he favored, apparently, were people like shepherds, who, whether you know this or not, were members of the underclass in that day and time. Shepherds were viewed as ritually unclean because they worked with animals and were filthy. Shepherds were among the nobodies and the nothings, the peasant class. The fact that the birth of God's son was announced to them in this story, rather than the wealthy and the powerful and the elite upper class, or even the temple priests or the religious leaders, this, this was remarkable. This meant something. Again, the peace of the Christ child was primarily for those whom the Lord favored, and whom the Lord favored were the so-called nothings and nobodies, the poor and the afflicted, the oppressed, and the downtrodden. Let's remember that Jesus, we're told, was born to people such as this. He was born to a peasant family. He, too, was a member of the underclass. Any gospel that isn't about God's preference and favor for the poor and the powerless is not a true gospel. His peace, therefore, meant their liberation, their hunger satisfied, their thirst quenched, their debts paid, their material needs met, etc. This is why Mary says in the chapter, just in the chapter prior, Luke chapter 1, 
when she's visiting her cousin Elizabeth and sharing with her the news of her pregnancy and all that this child will represent and do, Mary exclaims with great joy, he has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful or the mighty from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This was the peace that the Christ child represented to his own mother and to those shepherds and certainly to many other of Jesus's contemporaries. It was peace in the social and even the economic conditions of their life. This was a kind of spiritual peace too. There wasn't a strong distinction between the physical and the spiritual for them, I would argue. To fill the hungry with food was to fill their hearts with the peace of God. To liberate the oppressed from social or economic oppression was to also liberate their spirits. This has always been the way the scriptures, especially the Hebrew prophets, spoke of God's peace in the world. It was both material and spiritual or physical and spiritual. One was really the other. Notice something else important here. Neither Mary nor the shepherds thought that the peace that this Christ child represented had anything to do with the afterlife. <laughs> Nowhere does Mary say anything about the afterlife or the shepherds or the angels to the shepherds. It had nothing to do with the peace of mind that comes from believing that you're going to heaven when you die instead of hell, because your sins have been forgiven. That way of thinking never crossed their minds. That way of thinking was totally alien, I would argue, to Mary and those shepherds in the field that night. That was not the peace of the Christ child to them. And yet this is the primary way modern Christians think about the peace that Jesus brought into our world, or the Christ child, the Christmas story. I don't know about you, but I heard countless Christmas sermons. Maybe not countless, okay, dozens. <laughs> Think about how old I am. Must have been dozens of Christmas sermons over the years while growing up. I heard dozens, every Christmas sermon I heard, or if it spoke about the peace that Jesus brought into the world, that peace was articulated as a peace between us and God. We were told we were God's enemies because of original sin and therefore deserving of everlasting punishment. And so God sent Jesus into the world, we were told, to establish peace between God and us to appease God's wrath by sacrificing his own son for our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. Anybody familiar with that, that message? Just a little bit, maybe just a little familiar. You hear that on Christmas in your church is growing up? I certainly did. We're told that this was the peace that Jesus brought into our world, a, a peace between us and a, and a wrathful God. And that this peace that we can have is the peace of mind that comes from knowing or believing that we're going to paradise and not hell. 
But that is a latter, later interpretation of the incarnation that was utterly alien to Mary in Luke 1 and the shepherds in Luke 2. Didn't factor into their understanding of peace at all. Mary and the shepherds were not hoping and longing to be saved from the wrath of God, delivered from their sins and promised mansions and glory on high, everlasting bliss in the sweet by and by. That didn't, didn't factor into it. Where is that in the Magnificat, Mary's song? Where is it? Was that her hope? Was that what she was looking forward to? No. Not even close. Such ideas never crossed their minds. When they thought about the peace of God or the peace that the Christ child represented, had nothing to do with the afterlife or their status as the enemies of God in need of reconciliation and redemption and salvation and justification and sanctification and all those fancy theological words. Such ideas came much later starting with the Apostle Paul, probably, it certainly developed and took its form that we're familiar with today in the second and the third and fourth century by all those bishops and theologians that had those councils and debated and argued and fought over Christology. Mary and the shepherds had no, no understanding of any of that. Never crossed their mind all those Christological debates about the salvific nature of Jesus's incarnation and sacrifice and blood atonement and the wrath of God for sin. No, wasn't on their mind at all. Instead, Jesus's contemporaries like Mary and the shepherds were longing and hoping for justice and peace in the social fabric of their lives. A God who would, in Mary's own words, Scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Bring down the mighty, the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly and fill the hungry with good things. Oh, and by the way, send the rich away empty. Give them nothing. Send them packing. Because the hungry were hungry because they were exploited by those rich folk. They don't... They've had their fill, from Mary's point of view. Mary and the shepherds were hoping for the establishment of God's justice and peace in the social structures of their world, a.k.a. the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of God on earth, which they imagined as looking like the hungry being fed, the thirsty being given water, the naked being clothed, the stranger being welcomed, the oppressed being liberated. This was their idea, their understanding of God's peace. I was in my 30s and in seminary when I first heard this. I had to go pay $70,000 for a Master of Divinity degree in order to hear this message. You're getting it for free. Like my, my Christmas gift to you. But how tragic is that? I grew up in the church. I was there twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays, and heard dozens of Christmas sermons over the year. Never heard this one. Instead, the Christmas sermons I heard were all about how Jesus came to save us, right? 
give us heaven on high, deliver us from hell and wrathful God, et cetera, et cetera. That was the gospel I was told. Ironically, we still sing Christmas carols in church like Oh Holy Night every year and completely misunderstood the third verse. Most people don't know that Oh Holy Night was written by a 19th century French abolitionist named, I am mispronouncing it, Adolf Ad Adam. That's when the name Adolf could still be given to a boy. Um, but this 19th century French abolitionist understood that Christ's gospel of peace was peace first and foremost for the poor and oppressed. This is why the third verse goes, his law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. He was speaking about the oppression and enslavement of blacks in 19th century Europe and America when he wrote this, change shall he break. For the slave is our brother, his law is love, his gospel is peace, and in his name all oppression shall cease, etc. But we can apply this last line, and in his name all oppression shall cease, to say and in the name of Jesus, all oppression shall cease is to say that the gospel is about the end of all oppression everywhere, be it religious oppression, economic oppression, racial oppression, oppression against the LGBTQ community, oppression against women, oppression against migrants and refugees. It doesn't matter. In the name of Jesus, all oppression shall cease. Just some, all. This was the peace of Christ. This is what it means to say, his law is love and his gospel is peace. Peace for the least of these, peace for the oppressed. The broken, the afflicted. Those under the boot of power. This was and still is the peace of the Christ child. But again, even though I grew up singing this carol in church during Advent, the meaning was lost on me, on us. Instead, I grew up hearing that Jesus came into the world to establish peace between us and a wrathful God so I can go to heaven when I die. And the peace of Christmas is the peace of mind that I have, knowing that I'm glory-bound. And it makes perfect sense why this was the message we heard. The other gospel, that, you know, that one about God's preference for the poor and the powerless, that one about how God favors the poor and the powerless and disfavors the rich and the powerful, that gospel, yeah, it's kind of a bummer for us modern, white, capitalist Americans. We much more like hearing about the afterlife and the sweet by and by because that allows us to ignore problems in our society, in our world, and how, frankly, we kind of benefit from the status quo, how we're kind of the rich and the powerful. 
but an otherworldly understanding of the gospel was totally alien, totally alien to Mary and the shepherds and probably to Jesus himself. So that's my Advent sermon for this morning, and uh, we've already taken the Lord's Supper. And so now we just want to, if anybody wants to ask questions or discuss anything about any of this, we want to open it up. We do this every Sunday. So if you're joining us via Zoom and you have a question or a comment, you can always unmute and raise your voice that way. But I'm curious to hear how this gospel of peace strikes you. And did you grow up hearing this message? <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious. Um, yeah. Anybody have any thoughts or remarks about any of this today? And I want to be clear. I meant to say this during my talk, so I guess I'll say it now. It's not that we can't find peace in our faith in the idea of the afterlife and that, you know, we're part of this um, the cosmos and we're connected to this, this thing that's so much bigger than us. And there's this whole spiritual side of this kind of peace of mind that we can have. Absolutely. I want to affirm the peace of mind that comes from feeling that sense of connection to something infinite and eternal and the hope that comes from believing that we are cosmic and eternal. That's wonderful. I want to affirm that. But if we're going to stick to the text, which I tried to do this morning, the peace of the Christ child was much more material, much more about peace in the fabric of our lives, and the social framework of our world. But I want to affirm the other one, too. I don't mean to throw the idea of, you know, spiritual peace or peace of mind under the bus. I want to affirm that. Anyway, thoughts, questions, remarks? Anybody have anything here? Okay, Rodney. <laughs> Thanks for digging me out. <laughs> What's well, funny? I wasn't raising my hand. I was okay. just kind of working out in my. <laughs> I was working out. I was working out. Yeah, I was working out in my mind what you were. One of your points being that so you're saying growing up, the piece that you seem to have heard sermons about was the vertical piece between yourself and God. So I was doing, okay, he's saying God, and he, as opposed to the um, horizontal piece among ourselves. Um, just growing up, no, I can't say that the sermons I heard focused on just that vertical piece, because what's sticking out in my mind is the phrase peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And I feel like I've heard plenty of sermons focusing on that piece. So no, the piece that I've grown up hearing about is the peace among ourselves and lack of war and goodwill towards men, that kind of peace. But like you said, it doesn't have to be one or the other. <laughs> you know, it could be a 360 piece. <laughs> peace between yourself and God, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, all of it. It's like that a shame moment in an auction where you're sitting there and you accidentally raise your hand. <laughs> Any movement. Um, all right. Somebody else. Yeah. Emily. So I find it contradicting in what Rodney said, like, yes, that was said, right? Like that's what they said, 
but I feel like the emphasis was more on that relationship. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's why it was always so confusing for me is because everything was so contradictory that, and I'm so black and white type person where I'm like, oh, okay. So you're saying this, but then you're also saying this. And so now I'm totally confused. And with the amount of contradictions that we had and just sit with that, you shouldn't have to have questions. You shouldn't have to, you know, just be okay with not knowing the answer. And I was like, that just seems like a cop out a little bit, but, and it obviously was. So. Yeah, this way. Oh yeah. Oh, hey. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I heard that um, we were bad and sinful, and that's why Jesus came to save all of us from our awful sin of us being bad people. Like that was the majority of, of what I heard, and that without him, we would all have hell and death and fire. And therefore, you had to believe in Jesus if you did not want that. So there was nothing really about love thy neighbor <laughs> and be kind to people and we're all equal. It was just like, you better believe in Jesus or you're going to hell because you are a bad person. And um, I mean, as I grew up, of course, I realized that that wasn't true in a sense and just reading more, but not that, but that particular story was always just the story I heard. Um, and I think that if it was told differently, instead of putting fear in people's hearts, which I felt like that's what it was doing, for me at least, it would have been, of course, more of a love thing, like, a, you know, love thy, thy neighbor and all this, this stuff. And I think there would have been more of an understanding and more of a real grasp onto what Christmas is supposed to mean versus what it has become. Yeah, thank you. That was good. I, I'm curious, what, what does the peace of God mean for you in your life now? You know, this is what it meant back then. We need to honor that, right? I'm curious, like, do you experience the peace of God in your life? Do you have a sense of God's peace or presence in your life? And now I'm getting personal, right? But it doesn't have to be personal. It can be more, you can still be social. I'm just curious. How do you experience or imagine that? Yeah. Um, so I grew up very fundamentalist. And so it was very black and white and very um, individualistic. Like it was all about my relationship with God and what that was going to mean for me. There was no virtually no external you know social justice aspect of that um and i grew up without really realizing it at the time now i look back and i can see it that it created a lot of anxiety in my life in terms of i didn't connect with the message that i was being given but i was certain that it was true because i was being told it was true and so the fact that i didn't emotionally connect with this idea of a relationship with God meant something must be wrong with me. And, um, and it came to a head over the years. Um, and now, interestingly, 
my peace has come um, largely through knowing myself better more than knowing this idea of God better. And my therapist told me one time when I couldn't even understand what he was talking about, you, you keep looking for these answers outside of yourself and you have all the answers, which, you know, my evangelical training kicked into gear and was like, that can't be true. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but the more I've leaned into that, not in an arrogant, like I have all the answers, but in a, like knowing myself is where that peace comes from. And it's integrated into me feeling like I have a more of a connection to God, but not in this, um, you know, God versus human kind of way but in seeing it in the world, seeing God in the goodness of humanity and in relationships and in the love I experience from people, that's where I experience God, not in this ethereal kind of big worship service and I have a big moment kind of way. So I think that's where I experienced the peace of God more than I did when I was being told that God wanted to have a, wanted peace with me. That's good. Yeah, um, Marshall, the name. I didn't have the early experiences at all, but I came to Jesus through a woman who reported to me in my early 30s when I was a manager, who was um, planned to be a missionary. And so my whole worldview of Jesus is, is not at all this up and down thing because um, she was saved because of missionary going to Korea and allowing her to be adopted by an American couple. So she had to leave her whole family behind and just thanked and, and shared with me how grace can come at any time in your life in the middle of despair because of love. And so my whole framework about Jesus is not what you grew up with, it's from that point of view on from my early 30s on and just how much love there can be across nations, across individuals, across the ocean, if you love. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just quick, I recently watched Muppet Christmas Carol for the first time. <laughs> just... It's so good, Michael Caine. Um, but just thinking of your question and what Marsha was touching upon as well is like, like just thinking of, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, he kind of comes to a place of peace at the end of the film, but he has to confront death first. And I feel like there is that American thing of like the platitudes without really meaning it, of like goodwill towards men. It just serves like a Hallmark card, but we don't want to actually do the work. It's just like peace on earth. You put it in a Christmas card. But like, what does that mean? And like what you're talking about of like, what does it mean for like 
all oppression shall cease. So I feel like peace, not that I'm saying like war has to happen first, but just like we want the good stuff without sometimes confronting what's uncomfortable. And I feel like American Christianity is really good at just like wanting to maintain the good stuff for the same people. So I was just thinking about like how we all kind of like with that Ebenezer Scrooge archetypal journey of just like sometimes you have to confront fear and death and things to come to a place of peace. And when I hear you say confront, I hear you saying embrace, embracing fear and death, making to in order to make peace with those truths, those difficult truths of life. That's what I hear at least. Yeah. It gets back to philosophy today. <laughs> think we back, you know, think about the green knight. Um yeah, good stuff. Thanks. Somebody else. It's interesting that there's this strange peace that one gets with God after deconstruction that um, strangely, you know, there's a Meister Eckhart, 14th century mystic, got in a lot of trouble with the church, as many mystics did, but he said, I pray that God might rid you of God, which was a way of finding peace with God after the death of a certain kind of God. In a way, that's that there's only there's a certain kind of peace with God that can only go can only come to us after deconstruction, after the death of a certain version of God. Anyway, there's that whole side of it as well. It's interesting. Other thoughts and remarks today. Good discussion. Let us finish our time together by saying our joint benediction. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here, everybody. Go in peace.